0: DJ and PK brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. We're joined now by Adam Maras, DNVR Sports, host of the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Adam, good morning.
1: Good morning, guys. Good to be talking to you.
0: Before we get to the Nuggets and the Jazz and talk to you about that, it's just I wonder how much you interact with uh, David Locke, who was a program director who hired me into my first uh, morning drive sports talk job here in Utah. I'd done some radio and other places but here and I found him to be uh, <clears throat> tremendously detail oriented do you know what I'm talking about
1: yeah for sure and uh, I interact with him as little as possible um, <laughs> try to avoid him at all costs especially after game two uh, no no he's great man he's really detail oriented obviously he's put up together that great podcast network and we've been texting back and forth um, you know for the last couple weeks kind of preparing for the series
0: so as you look at it, what do you think the mindset uh, as far as the emotions of concern are for the Nuggets?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of concern for Denver. You know, this, this series has really taken on a completely different life than the regular season matchups. I think obviously in large part is Utah's a, a very different team. And I, I think that they've really found something against Denver with Donovan Mitchell in, in the pick and roll, the way that they've, they've used him. Um, You know, Jokic, I I think for all of the things that he is, in my opinion, fantastic at, he's absolutely horrible at sort of covering the specific type of pick and roll that Utah's been throwing at him. Um, You know, rolling Gobert so hard at the rim and then using a fast, speedy point guard like Donovan to sort of attack. And I think that Denver really made the calculation that, okay, Donovan can score a bunch of points, but can he make some of the complex passes? You know, can he... Can he, can, you know, he hasn't, in my opinion, I don't think that Denver was counting on him to be able to read every different option with every different type of defense they would throw at him. But that has not been the case. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, obviously fantastic in game one, but I thought game two, just his ability to read how Denver would try to mix up their coverage in the pick and roll, which option they would sort of leave open, he just didn't miss in that game. He made every possible read. Uh, off of every type of coverage, and really just exploited what is Denver's biggest weakness. So to me, uh, it falls on that end. Denver struggled with teams like this. I think you look at the Capella era, Houston Rockets, the Nuggets didn't beat that team a single time, I think over three years. Um, And Utah has kind of morphed into that that brand of pick-and-roll, spread-pick-and-roll attack, and it's really, really worked.
0: So a big storyline in Utah going into the postseason was the fact that Bogdanovich had the surgery and he was out and he's 20 points a game and that's a huge loss and I completely believe that but Will Barton and Gary Harris uh, both average in double figures. They play over 30 minutes a game. I think you'd certainly have to label them two of their top six players and defensively they carry the load and having both of them out, how much does that change the Nuggets?
1: I think it changes a lot. It certainly, I think, went under the radar a little bit how much that would impact the series, especially the way that it's playing out with Donovan Mitchell kind of taking the reins and being the pivot point, the ball handler and the attacker. Because you look at it, Gary Harris would have been the number one guy defending Donovan Mitchell. Torrey Craig probably would have been the number two guy. Will Barton would have been the number three guy. And I think you play all three of those guys at the same time and you think, okay, you can switch a lot of those guard-to-guard pick-and-rolls, which is right now what, what Utah's doing is they're getting that guard-to-guard screen first, getting Michael Porter Jr., usually the guy that has to switch out onto Donovan Mitchell, and then putting him and Jokic in the pick-and-roll, and that's just you're putting your two weakest defenders trying to guard the, their best action, and that's what's killing Denver right now. So you take away what I think is your first and third-best perimeter defender, and now you're stuck with guys that just so far have not been up to the challenge. So it's been really big. And then on top of that, you know, Torrey Craig, zero points in last game. Uh, You you know, you put Will Barton as your third leading scorer. Gary Harris is a very capable knockdown shooter. Um, So it's really hurting them on both ends.
0: So with that in mind, uh, how much is it further hurt with the return of Conley for the Jazz?
1: I think we're Conley, so it's interesting because (laughs) – Michael Malone, before the series began, somebody asked, you know, with Conley out, how does this affect things? And he said, well, it hurts because it's more Donovan Mitchell. I mean, and I think Michael Malone kind of saw that's really the thing we're most concerned about. I think with Mike Conley, I'm really curious to see how much more the ball is in his hands. Of course, he's a, a, another capable knockdown shooter if Utah does leave him off ball primarily, which as I kind of suspect they will. Where I think today he's going to make his biggest impact is at that second unit. You know, Emmanuel Moutier had a really good first quarter, sort of start of second quarter in last game, but Conley's a clear upgrade when you just talk about staggering lineups between the first and second unit. And I thought coming into the series, Denver would have a real advantage against the second unit. It hasn't quite played out like that in the first two games, but I do suspect that Denver would be able to sort of get that edge, at least in some of these games. But if you're able to stagger, you know, whenever you have Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell off the court, you have Mike Conley and Joe Ingles on the court. Well, now I think that makes the bench units with Denver and Utah much more even, and, and maybe even tilts it in the favor of Utah. So, I, I, to me, the, the second unit, those staggered units, is where Mike Conley's really going to have a biggest impact.
0: So I'm curious, with the Nuggets shooting 51.5% from three in these two playoff games and 36% in the regular season, how long can they keep this up? Despite the shooting, the series is 1-1. What's going to happen if they have a game where they shoot 20 or 25% or a couple games at 30 or so?
1: Uh, that's, I mean, that's a great question. To me, I'm not sure Denver can stop Utah. I, I think they could stop them a little bit more than they did in game two. But I think Utah's going to have a very efficient offense in most of the series because of the deficiencies with Jokic uh, on the defensive end. On the offensive end, you know, there are some things I think Denver can do to mix it up. I think they're going to probably play through Michael Porter a little bit more, maybe start Jeremy Grant, play, play lineups that actually space the core a little bit more, Right now, Utah is trusting Rudy Gobert to sort of uh, guard Jokic one-on-one with with minimal help. And it makes it easier when you have you know, Paul Millsap, Torrey Craig not making any shots. I mean, again, Torrey Craig zero points in that game. I think Paul Millsap eight points. So two-year starters really not contributing. I think Denver's going to throw out more offensive-oriented lineups and see if Jokic can go out Gobert with a little bit more spacing one-on-one. Um, and if that's the case, I think it just opens up every uh, everything else on, on the offensive end for Denver. So they certainly are prone to sort of hot streaks and cold streaks. And if they hit a cold streak, um, then I, I think it's going to be really hard for them to keep up with Utah's offense.
0: You think Millsap at age 35 is done as uh, anything close to a big-time player?
1: I do, and and it's tough because he really started out the season really well. I think he, as much as anybody, was really harmed by this hiatus. I mean, you talk about an old player that was already sort of on his, you know, his final runs here, and then you take four or five months off and have this the short turnaround. He just he looks a lot worse than he did in the month of March to me. Um, So absolutely, but I think the bigger thing is just the direction the league is going, and even Utah plays a hand in this. I mean. Last year you played Derek Favors as your power forward. You play a little bit big, and okay, now Millsap's big. He can bang with these guys, and and you match size on size. With the way the league has just put so many shooters on the court, you look at Utah, I mean, they, there's really not a player you can leave open that's playing outside on the perimeter, including at the power forward spot, and that just means he needs to be even more mobile. So you have an aging star... Who just by virtue of getting older is becoming less mobile, and you have a, a style of offense that is just um, taken over the NBA, where you're spreading teams out and forcing that backside help that to cover so much ground. It's kind of two forces working uh, against each other.
0: There's an argument to be made that the only must-win game is the one when you've already lost three times. Having said that, at one-one. With Conley back and having been blown out in Game 2 and shot the 3 so well and being shorthanded, do the Nuggets have to win Game 3? Does it feel like it's getting away if they don't?
1: I mean, it definitely feels like it's getting away if they don't, but I don't. I wouldn't say it's a must-win. I, I think Gary Harris is, is on the horizon. I wouldn't be surprised if he played in Game 4. I do think that's going to make a big difference. That gives Denver a couple different perimeter options. Um, you It know, makes their defensive scheme a little bit more uh, passable. And on top of that, you know, Denver wins Game One. Utah makes the adjustments, and they blow Denver out in Game Two. Denver has an opportunity now to try to figure out what it is, what their adjustment is that puts Utah on their heels. Denver right now is on their heels. They drop another game, you know, at two-one. You still have an opportunity to figure something out, and the series will evolve. And the the only time I think the series really gets in danger is when things stop changing. Things changed after Game One. We'll see if they change after game two, game three. Once it gets stagnant and you say, okay, the teams have used up sort of all of their bullets, they're kind of now, they've gone, you know, the well is dry, they're out of ideas. That's sort of when a series takes, you know, that that's when I think you, you kind of have your back against the wall. I'm not sure Denver's there just yet. I think offensively they have some adjustments they can make. Um, defensively they can they can be a little bit better, and maybe Utah... Does it make 23-pointers? Maybe they do, but maybe you know, maybe there's some, some margins there to be gained. Um, but, no, I don't think Game 3 is quite a must-win just yet.
0: You talk about changes. Uh, what particularly things are you looking for that could possibly be changed as this thing progresses?
1: Well, I think uh, there's a, a couple different things that they can do. One of them is, you know, Royce O'Neal has really shut down Jamal Murray, and truly the Royce O'Neill, rudy Gobert tandem, the way that they've just sort of been able to pack that paint so I think that, you know, bringing in a secondary ball handler, Monte Morris has been, I think, very good in the series so far, uh, and, and taking Royce O'Neal off of that initial pick and roll action, and maybe even taking Jokic off of that first pick and roll action. Jeremy Grant, a very good pick and roll player. He can also space the court. I think Denver's going to try to have, go, you know, Jokic be as the secondary action, meaning you run an initial pick and roll maybe with, uh, you know, a Monte Morris and a uh, Jeremy Grant. You see, how is Gobert going to guard that? Is he going to stick to Jokic on the perimeter? Or is he going to overcompensate and try to protect the paint? Because uh, Utah's, you know, doesn't really have great rim protectors outside of Gobert. Uh, and then does that trigger backside actions that involve Michael Porter Jr., who is sort of a, a recent addition to this Nuggets roster and the way that he's been used. But I think everybody sees, as much as he has a liability on defense, let's be honest, everybody on D- on Denver is a liability on defense. I, that's why I say I don't know if they're going to stop him. Maybe you lean in more to Michael Porter, run a little more Michael Porter, Nikola Jokic, two-man game, a little less Jamal Murray-Jokic, two-man game, and see how they handle that. So, um, you know, the things like that that I think they can do, Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig just have not been effective. So starting and playing them 30-plus minutes just doesn't seem like it's going to work when you're not stopping them. You might lean in a little bit more to your offensive lineups and see if they can guard you.
0: You know, after Game 2, uh, Malone just – he didn't really break it down. You know, he talking about the third quarter. We, we gave up 43 points. You know, he just – it was yeah. just awful, right? And so I'm wondering how much he worried, and coaches worry about everything, so of course he's going to focus on some X's and O's. But I just wonder if the primary message is, guys, you got to play harder, you got to, you got to be tougher, and you need to be a little bit mad about what happened in game two. And you need to use that anger to just fuel the energy level here. And how much of it is about that, and how much of it is about rotation, spacing the floor and all that, and how much of it is just having a fire lit under you?
1: I think there's a lot of that to it. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this bubble environment is that it, if you watch them, you know, it doesn't quite feel like a playoff game. And we don't have that crowd intensity. You don't have sort of that, oh, the, the crowd's really taken over and the momentum's there. But yet Denver's playing in this game, and they sort of well, – there was a 65-35 to 35 run that determined this game at the end, you know, last four minutes of the second quarter and basically all of the third quarter – And you watch that that stretch there, Denver kind of got hit, and I thought kind of, not coward, but, you know, they certainly weren't up to the challenge once things weren't going their way. They missed some shots, they started missing some bunnies, they weren't back in transition, um, you know, hanging their head just a little bit, and it really snowballed for them. So I think when you go to the film, I think that's going to be part of Malone's message is, hey, playoff basketball isn't perfect, we're going to blow assignments, other guys are going to make shots. But this is a dogfight. You have to get out there and you have to keep punching back. And Denver in Game Two, I felt like didn't have that. And I don't know that they would have won even if they did have it, just with the way Utah was shooting in that game uh, and over that stretch. But you at least try to stay attached. And, and Denver lost hold of the rope, I thought, in that third quarter, um, and, and it ballooned to thirty to what was it, thirty-one points?
0: Well, Adam, we appreciate a little bit of time for coming in and uh, breaking down Game Three for us. And uh, good luck with David Locke.
1: Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one.